Welcome to the Think Theism Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Think Theism. My name is Zach Lawson. I'm joined today with co-host Andrew Robbins. Today we're going to be talking about one of the more culturally controversial issues in Christianity, the age of the earth. Many Christians will argue that the earth is pretty young, anywhere from six to 10,000 years old, and some Christians uh, disagree on this. So yeah, I have a, a bit of a personal story um, to set up what we're going to talk about today. When I was in high school, I went to a small, private Christian school. It was a very good school. Um, in many ways, it prepared me for being the person I am today. But one thing that my high school taught was that the earth was between six and 8,000 years old and that this was the only theologically acceptable view to hold on the age of the earth. Um, in our biology class, we actually used a Bob Jones University textbook, and the first two chapters of the book were all about the age of the earth um, and different theories for the age of the earth and, and why you can only accept the young earth 6,000-year-old sort of view. Then, though, I went to college. And in college, uh, I got involved in this Rossio Christi group that, that does this podcast. And all of a sudden, I was confronted with evidence for an earth being old. Good evidence, evidence that I could not refute um, and that I still have not refuted. And this left me with a dilemma. Either the assumption... Uh, that I was taught in high school that this was the only, this 6,000-year-old view, was the only theologically acceptable view, or it seemed to me Christianity was false, because the evidence you know, that I saw for an old earth was very strong. Um, so I, either what I was taught in high school was false, or Christianity as a whole was false. You mentioned that you encountered this in the context of Ratio Christi, specifically Christians who held alternative perspectives. In a certain sense, this is actually fairly fortunate. Many young Christians coming out of high school uh, who hold to this perspective and encounter the evidence for an old earth do not encounter it in a Christian context, but rather in a secular context. So the question is, what views are actually theologically acceptable for a Christian to hold? So what views can a Christian hold about the age of the earth and origins that don't mishandle Scripture um, and that take the text seriously? So there are, broadly speaking, two types of views, young earth and obviously old earth. Very creative names. <laughs> yeah, yes. So obviously everybody knows what the young earth view means. It just means that the first chapter of Genesis you take fairly literally. The days are literal 24-hour days. And then you also take the genealogies such that you arrive at a universe being created in seven days and about six to 10,000 years in the past. And for the most part, the 24-hour view or the young earth perspective is mostly homogenous in, in that respect, that if you encounter someone who says that they're a young earth creationist, pretty much that's what they're going to say that they believe, a 144-hour creation week. The old earth perspective, however, that term is more of an umbrella that encompasses a multiplicity of all different perspectives. Some of these perspectives are literal and some of them are non-literal. I think it's important that we highlight that whenever someone says, 
oh, I believe the earth is old, that does not necessarily mean that they hold to a non-literal understanding of Genesis. For example, the day-age perspective is usually considered to be the most literal old earth interpretation. Yes, and then there are, of course, a number of non-literal old earth interpretations. But we have to recognize that just because an interpretation is non-literal does not mean that it's not acceptable. What we have to determine is if the text is intended to be taken literally, or is it intended to be taken figuratively or literarily? When it comes to this issue, there are pretty much three battlegrounds over which these debates are fought. The first one is the textual battle, which we've kind of been discussing so far. How is the text of Genesis 1 through 3 best understood? The second battleground for this issue concerns the scientific data. That is, how do we best understand the fossil record? How best do we understand radiometric dating? How best do we understand the results of astrophysics and astronomy? While we've sort of had a brief foray into the textual issues, we're going to focus mostly on this third one, which are broadly speaking philosophical or theological objections to the perspective. So moving forward, we're going to assume, one, that, that we can take the text to mean either a young earth perspective or an old earth perspective. These are legitimate interpretations of the text. And then two, we're going to assume that the scientific evidence is strong, but that it doesn't rule out a young earth view of some sort. So we can now focus on philosophical and theological questions to make up the difference and and sort of decide between these two views. One of the main objections on a theological ground that young earth, people who hold to a young earth perspective, one of the main objections that they will lodge against the old earth perspective is what's sort of called the death before the fall view. So very briefly, the fall refers to the fall of humanity, which occurs in Genesis chapter 3. In this event, Adam and Eve partake of the forbidden fruit. They bring sin into the world, and with it, suffering, death, pretty much all the problems that we face today. Now, the objection says that if you hold to an old earth, that the earth is four and a half billion years old, that life first emerged roughly three billion years ago, and that humanity came onto this stage anywhere from 100,000 to 200,000 years ago. If you hold to that perspective, then you have millions and billions of years of animals living and dying and breathing and suffering and going into the ground and dying terrible deaths. I mean, for example, you have millions of years of just the dinosaurs, T-Rex tearing apart who knows how many suffering little animals. And so the objection goes... If death did not come into the world until humanity came into the world, and you have these millions and millions of years of animal suffering and death, then how in the world can you say that this fits with the scriptural perspective? Yeah, so the argument here is that in Romans, specifically Romans 5.12, it says, Through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin. So what this is saying is that when Adam sinned, death entered the world. So prior to Adam's sin, there should have been no death in the world. So how can you have animals dying prior to Adam's sin, since Adam's sin was the entry point of death into the world? Another example would be Genesis 1.31, which says that God looked on his creation and saw that it was very good. And some people may say that If he looks and sees all these dinosaurs killing and slaughtering each other, that isn't exactly very good. 
Yeah, it doesn't seem to line up with the the ideas that we have about um, about God's benevolence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the ongoing sort of meta theme of the Bible is that death is the enemy. First Corinthians specifically says in chapter fifteen that death is the last enemy to be defeated. Ultimately, this objection can essentially be boiled down to that death is the enemy, and that on old earth perspective incorporates death into the very good creation. Now that we've explained what the objection is, the question is, can the objection be overcome, or does this force us to take a young earth view? I actually think this objection is a strong objection for a couple of reasons. One, it's based in the the text pretty strongly. Uh, These are theological issues that are are not sort of super nuanced. Uh, it's pretty obvious. There's a fair amount of supporting verses. And it also hits you sort of on an emotional level. It makes it a uh, effective argument, although that may or may not have anything to do with the truth of the argument. Yeah, especially those of us who have had pets that we've seen apparently in pain and suffering, you know, and have experienced that firsthand. It does not seem like something that would be incorporated into the creation. But I guess the the ultimate question here is in Romans and elsewhere, when Paul and others talk about death, are they really talking about animal death? Is that really the same thing as, as what Paul's talking about? And it seems to me that in Scripture we can talk about death in at least two different ways. I would agree with that. We have, roughly speaking, physical death that we can talk about and then spiritual death that we can talk about. Yeah, so it seems clear that there's a a theological spiritual death that is discussed extensively in the New Testament that is separate from biological physical death. For example, Colossians 2.13 says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh... God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. So clearly, right here, Paul is not talking about physical death. Several times in the New Testament, Paul uses imagery of living people walking around and saying they're dead. How can you be dead while you're biologically alive? Clearly, he's using death in a different way from physical, biological death. So, for example, if someone says that death came into the world through Adam. We might need to inter- we, we might need a little bit more nuance. Do we mean spiritual death or do we mean physical death in in this respect? Now, I actually happen to think that well, the Romans text it means both physical and spiritual death. I think that there's an there are a few more distinctions that we need to make whenever it comes to physical death. We need to make a distinction between human death and animal death because clearly not all physical death is the same. In a certain sense, you could say that plants die. In fact, Jesus himself said that plants die. But that's not the same death that we're talking about here. In fact, that would lead us to a really, really bad position if the young earth creationist said that there was no death whatsoever before the fall, and yet you had plant death from vegetarian activity. I think that we need to discuss this a little bit more in terms of animal death and human death. Do you think that that's a legitimate distinction between animal death and human death, or is that just artificial? Well, I mean, you want to be careful because you don't want to beg the question by making a distinction somewhere when really, I mean, that's sort of the main question is, should there be a distinction between animal death and human death? 
So if, if the Romans 5 passage is discussing human physical biological death, then the question is, does animal death fall under the same category as human death or not? Because if it does, then the passage applies to animal death. If it doesn't, then the passage does not apply. So I guess it, it gets to the point of what is the purpose of death. And in a, in a certain sense, I think it's uncontroversial to say that death is the punishment for sin. Correct. But once again, there, there are two types of death. So even in that statement, we're equivocating because are we saying that biological death is the punishment for sins? Are we saying that spiritual death is the punishment for sins? Or are we saying that they are both the punishment, punishment for sins? I think that when we say that death is the punishment for sins, that we are saying that spiritual death is the punishment for sins. Biological death actually, to me, seems to be uh, more of a, a gift from God because without biological death, we will never reach a sanctified state. Now, I think I agree with you that in a, in a certain sense, without death, we can never reach the glorified state. But I think the objection here is saying originally there was not supposed to be death in Correct. Or originally, prior, death. prior. So it, I would say that it seems to be that physical death for humans is the result of the fall, but it does not seem that physical death is the punishment for the fall. Physical death is actually God's giving us a second opportunity, basically, to restore our relationships with Him. Um, it's only by by dying, or for for a lucky few, by a lucky few will perhaps maybe not go through physical death, but for the vast majority of humanity, only through physical death will we reach an ultimate state of um, of glorification. That seems to be a consistent answer. I, I don't know that we can get that conclusion from Scripture. It, it seems to me that whenever death is described, it's usually in an unnatural state. For example, Paul, in his description in Thessalonians, talking about the resurrection, says that uh, being away from the body is to be at home with Christ, but he says that the the spirit separated from the body is it, it's unnatural feeling. It's I believe he describes it in terms of of nakedness, and that doesn't seem to me to be a positive description of death. Well, that's not to say that death itself, physical death itself, is a positive thing, but it's to say that it is a necessary a necessary event for people to experience in order to reach ultimately a better place. Well, basically, the, basically that death is not – physical death is not punishment for sins, but rather a necessary precondition for reaching a later state. I, I think you can make other arguments too for, for what physical death is for. I don't, I don't think it is clear that physical death is ultimately a punishment for sins. I, I think that the, the eternal spiritual death seems to, be the, seems to be the punishment that we have in mind. So in in that respect, whenever we turn to, for example, Genesis chapter 2, whenever God says, whenever he issues the prohibition to eat the fruit, he says, in the day that you eat of the fruit, you will surely die as a result of that. Would you say that that would be spiritual death or physical? I, I, I think it, it, it certainly appears that we're talking about spiritual death because they obviously did not immediately physically die. I mean, eventually they will physically die, but it will be many years down the road. Um, so it, it doesn't seem to clearly be talking about physical death there. And the, the theological 
message that it's portraying, I think, is 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 spiritual death. It's saying that mm-hmm. they will be cut off from God. I, I want to come back to this this issue about physical death being not exactly a positive thing. It so whenever you're talking about it being a necessary precondition, it, it still seems to me it doesn't set well whenever we have the first Corinthians text, which is clearly talking about physical death. And it says that death is the last enemy to be defeated. I, I don't exactly see how you can turn that into sort of a, a gift. It seems to me that God is in opposition to death. In fact, if we look at the crucifixion, the the work of Christ, that seems to be a testimony to God's triumphant or triumphance over death, that it's not really a gift for humanity. It is it is a plague that needs to be exterminated. Well, I mean, it's death is a necessary consequence of the fall in order mm-hmm. to to redeem people. So it's not a good thing in and of itself. But w- without it, we would be stuck in a fallen state forever. So I mean, it's not to say that death is itself a positive thing, but that it is it's necessary to achieve the ultimate goal which is is glorification, is, is reunited, being reunited um, with God. Let's look at animals then. Are animals on the same plane as humans in, in this respect? Because if, if your argument is that death is a necessary condition for glorification, what purpose does it serve for animals? Most people would say that animals are not glorified or resurrected or in any sense with Christ. To put it simply, animals can't be Christians. Yeah, it it seems it seems that if you hold a view like this, there is a necessary difference between the death of animals and the death of people. The death of people is purposeful. People die for reasons um, that ultimately can benefit them. Animals, on the other hand, they die because they have to die, and that's it. Mm-hmm. So it it seems that there is not a parallel. When we're talking about, you know, when, when your dog dies, there doesn't seem to be any recompense for that. There doesn't seem to be any real reason why that would have a relationship to human sin. I suppose we might want to, to ask the question, is animal death something bad in and of itself? You could frame it like this. Human death is something that's bad in and of itself, but because... It is a necessary precondition for a greater good. In a certain sense, it, it's either outweighed or it is, um, it's overwhelmed by a greater good. But if animal death is bad in and of itself, and it's not a necessary condition to a greater good, that seems to me to be gratuitous evil almost. Exactly. Uh, so, so basically the argument with respect to animal death is that God can't be good and permit animal death for so long because animal death would would be gratuitous evil. It would be evil with no reason. We have a reason for human evil. People do bad things, so people are punished for for doing bad things, and and people are ultimately given the opportunity for recompense. Animals, however, do not do bad things. They don't have any moral characters. They don't have any reason to be punished, and they don't get any recompense in the end. There, there's no afterlife for your dog. So if the death of an animal is morally reprehensible to the point where animals dying before the fall would somehow impugn God's character, then that is equally true for animals after the fall. 
Because just because man sinned, how how does that have any relationship to to animals? Why should man's sin cause millions and billions of animals to die when the the animals have no moral character and and the animals have no recompense for their suffering in the end, like men do, that like man does. I guess another way to put this might be, if we assume that animal death is something bad that needs to be explained, is the fall of man a sufficient explanation? The way that you described it is that it, it doesn't seem to be a good explanation for why animals die. I mean, in a certain sense, maybe it could explain why they die, but it doesn't in any way sort of offset it. It just says that, oh, animals die because man sinned. That actually seems to make it worse because not only are animals living the good life uh, before man sinned, but then they get, all, they get an equal amount of punishment that man does because they die. If the punishment is death, then they die just as equal as man does. But man, like you said, they have an opportunity or we have an opportunity to be reconciled to God. But animals don't have that opportunity. They have all of the suffering and none of the rewards. Exactly. It seems like the moral calculus here doesn't add up. If we're saying that death and suffering are the result of sin and that it's a moral issue that man sin, um, that man dies and suffers because of man's sin and that God provides a way for man to, to be recompensed for unjustified suffering, um, and that is what makes that situation morally appropriate – since there's not a parallel for animals, it seems unclear. Um, it seems unclear how we can say that this situation is just if we've described it correctly. Yeah, because if we use the internal logic, for example, of First Corinthians 15, death is an enemy that is defeated. But Paul himself says death is swallowed up in victory through resurrection. So any time that death is overcome, the logic of the New Testament is that it is overcome by resurrection. And it seems that there are both theological and philosophical problems for animals being resurrected. And if animals aren't resurrected, then there is no recompense for their suffering, which would impugn God's character. Whether it's before the fall or after the fall, it doesn't really matter. So to summarize where we are so far, we hold to an old earth perspective. The young earth person comes back and says, but the Bible says no death before the fall. You have lots of death before the fall. That's bad. And then the retort is, well, it doesn't seem to be clear that we're talking about, first of all, physical death before the fall. But more importantly, the fall doesn't sufficiently explain the problem of animal death, assuming that it is a problem. So it seems to me that we're kind of at a, a crossroads here. If we say that animal death is a problem, that it's something bad that we need a sufficient theodicy or explanation for, then we need something in addition to the fall of man or for old earth people, then we don't even have that in our toolkit. But the young earth person, if they're going to say the animals die because of the fall, they're going to need some additional resources to explain the problem of animal death because in and of itself, the fall might explain the origin, but even that is not even established. At most, it would establish the origin, but it doesn't ultimately provide, balance out. It doesn't provide any yeah. moral justification. Yeah, so we're still left with this problem. So it seems to me, at least, that there are two ways out of this. Either you assume animal death is a problem and construct sort of a theodicy, or you say that animal death is a neutral thing. Yeah, so, okay, so to summarize the argument that we're making here in sort of concise terms. One, animal death before the fall 
would impugn God's moral character, therefore it must not happen. Two, animal death after the fall seems to have no substantial moral difference to animal death before the fall. Therefore, animal death after the fall is equally morally reprehensible to animal death before the fall. So at this point, we're left with the fact that we've now impugned God's character after the fall by saying the animals die. So we either have to just accept that or we have to reject our first premise, which was that animal death before the fall impugns God's character. The alternative to that, of course, is to provide a justification for why animal death is not bad. And then the question is, will that argument apply to both animals before the fall and animals after the fall? Because if it does, then we've, we've dissolved the problem. Which perspective would you take? Would you take more that animal death is neutral before the fall or that there's an additional theodicy that we can construct? It seems unclear to me that the death of an animal has a moral character to it. This depends a lot on your view of animals compared to people. So on my view, animals seem to have no morally relevant component to them that would make death or suffering or something like that an immoral act for God. Now, it's important to note that this has nothing to do with whether it's moral for people to do certain things to animals because people have been commanded um, and entrusted with with the well-being of animals. So the question isn't a moral one of how people should relate to animals, but rather what is the ultimate moral significance of animals with respect to God? Just to clear people out of the issue, let's talk about dinosaurs specifically because dinosaurs and humans, they didn't interact at all. So if T-Rex eats another dinosaur, good, bad, evil, and, and you're saying that there doesn't seem to be any moral relevance. If a T-Rex just goes and I don't even know what they would eat. I'm not a paleontologist. (laughs) Yeah, it it seems unclear that there's a moral character to one animal inflicting pain upon another animal so that it can nourish itself. That actually seems to be the point of view of Scripture. Psalm 104, for example, is a creation poem. There's a line towards the end that says that the young lions cry out to God for their food and God provides for them. So it almost seems to be an endorsement of the predatorial system. He provides for the young lions, and lions don't exactly eat vegetarian. Yeah, exactly. It's highly doubtful, in my mind at least, the death of an animal is a morally significant act. And the reason that I would justify this is to say that it does not seem that animals are persons and that it is the death of a person that is morally significant. So human beings are persons, that is, they are individuals with volition and with, with a moral experience, and uh, animals do not seem to have all of these properties that would make them persons, so animals do not seem to have this moral dimension to their existence that humans do. Let's then talk a little bit about the sacrifices of the Old Testament. It seems to me that there is a consistent theme especially from a Christian perspective, that Jesus' death on the cross was very much relevant, that it was a blood sacrifice to atone for sins. That had a very physical component to it. In what sense or what role would you say that the animals of the Old Testament sacrifices, what role did they play? So this is a a very interesting question, actually, because at, at first blush what we can say is that 
you know, for the entire Old Testament, the the Israelites were commanded to make sacrifices. The justification is that they're making these sacrifices because the sacrifices are a bad thing that they're having to do to atone for their sins. So clearly there must be some moral component to animal sacrifice, right? If you think about it a little deeper, though, why did the animal sacrifices have to end? So when Christ made his sacrifice, that's what ultimately sort of balanced out the moral calculus. It turns out the, the animals were never actually effective at doing anything. So the, the animal sacrifices didn't justify anyone. They were not actually effective. They were sort of ceremonial for the purpose of uh, basically a placeholder waiting for Christ so that Christ's sacrifice, his atonement, would ultimately be applied to them. But the, the animal sacrifices themselves didn't do anything. So it, it seems like you can actually use this as a very good argument as to why the death of animals is not morally the same as the death of a person. Because the death of animals was not sufficient to, to sort of cover up for the death of one person. And ultimately, you know, it required Christ, a perfect man, to die mm-hmm. in order to make, um, to make atonement. The animals were not sufficient. I believe it's Hebrews chapter 4, which says that the blood and bulls and goats did not allow anyone to enter into the kingdom of God, but it was only through the blood of Jesus Christ. Right. And these animals were considered to be without blemish. They were specifically chosen as perfect sacrifices. But that perfectness did not have any moral relevance whatsoever. So just to wrap things up here, Whenever we look at Scripture, we can see that there are many verses that discuss death, but we need to make a distinction between spiritual death and physical death. And making that important distinction uh, can avoid some of these hermeneutical errors that come up. Secondly, if animal death really is a problem, it seems to me that it's a problem for everyone, that if you try to use the fall as an explanation for death, that's not sufficient. And so if you're a young earth creationist who holds that animal death is a problem or an old earth creationist who holds that animal death is a problem— you're in the same boat. You're going to need some more resources to explain this. And lastly, it just doesn't seem clear to us that animal death really is a problem. There, it, it just doesn't seem clear that there is this moral dimension. It may be something kind of unpleasant, but it just doesn't seem to be the type of moral problem that most people make it out to be. So we can see, I think, that uh, this animal death objection is not successful in making old earth creationism a theologically untenable view. Um, So that'll be it for today. Join us again next time on Think Theism.